Welcome to Sin City with Nick Menezes and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. Welcome, welcome, MRU, to another chapter of Sin City. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Manessis. Your other host, Dane, will show up soon to make an epic entrance. Today we have our next, our an old guest, Matt Zahariah, in his third appearance. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. Yeah. It's an honor. So today's topic is going to be film sequels, basically. This month, and good timing too, because this month is the 16th anniversary of one of the best sequels ever, Spider-Man 2. Oh, yeah. I believe you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So something that is kind of like that some filmmakers tend to struggle is basically coming up with a sequel and making it better than the first film. What do you say that? Like how, like, why do you think it's hard to make a a really good sequel, one that is on par with the original? Well, I think, um, I think a sequel needs to be, is it needs to be like the original where it's not too different, but also needs to have the same essence of the original but you don't want it to be the same film. Like if you just do all the same things in it, people are going to notice and you're just basically copying off yourself. So, so yeah, I think a problem with coming up with a good sequel is you need to capture the essence of what made the first film good, but also add on to it where it sort of expands the world of it a bit more and makes viewers want to see it agreed with you looking at you and you star wars yeah yeah those yeah yeah so true like like i think i agree with with your point of view by the way and uh i think what another thing when you're making a sequel is that or in this case of the first film in your franchise is basically just start small and then in the next one just expand your ideas basically yeah but i know a good example of what not to do is with the friday the 13th franchise because mm-hmm. like the first four films are good in a series they're not like oscar-winning movies but they make they're cohesive and make sense so the first one it was just people out in the woods filming a horror movie but then when that got success they're like okay let's make a sequel to this and they um developed jason as a character and from that uh, he's become the face of the franchise now and what's really interesting was part three or as i should say friday the 13th 3d because when 3d technology got developed they were like okay let's make a movie with it so if you actually uh, look back at it you see a whole bunch of shots where people are just like pushing stuff into the camera mm-hmm. and really selling the 3d gimmick it's too much yeah and then uh for the uh fourth film 
it's ironically called Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Mm, um, I think part four, the final chapter. But uh, for that one, they actually wanted to close up Jason's story because they got like Tom Savini back with the effects in the original to do the effects in this one. And they actually gave a conclusion to the story with it ending in the death of Jason. But then after that, it sort of spirals out of control where it's like... Um, uh, New Beginnings, which is like a copycat killer, and then after that, it's uh, Jason Lives, where it's Jason's alive this whole time. Hello, Dane. And then after that, it's Jason Goes to Hell, which it's it just spirals out of control to like Jason Takes Manhattan, and then Jason X, where is in the far future and he goes to space. But you need to sort of not go too big with the idea if it's a small idea. Because if you go too big, you sort of get your Jason X and yeah. True. So, Dane, um, to catch you up, we were just basically talking about the, fr- the movie sequels and how we were talking about the Friday the 13th franchise because that film has so many sequels. You don't even have to do with them. Yeah. How many are there? There's like- 12. 12. Oh my. Oh yeah, that's but that includes the um Freddy versus Jason sort of crossover and yeah, and yeah, Jason X, which I don't consider one, but some might. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, sorry, and um, you watch the Friday movies thing? The Friday the 13th films? Yeah, I've seen a few of them. I, I can't remember which ones, but I've, I've definitely seen probably like the earlier ones. Yeah. 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 I have to catch up on all of them. All 12 of them. Yeah. Maybe these coming days. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot, but great, yeah. great, uh, great trilogy. Or not, you, you wouldn't call it a trilogy, sorry. You'd call that a, what would you call a franchise, I would Franchise, say. yeah, franchise. Yeah. I, w- I was just saying the like first four are a good cohesive story, and then from there it sort of gets out of control with itself and becomes a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing we were discussing earlier is like, why is it so hard to make uh, a good movie sequel, one that is on par with the first film? Your thoughts, Dane, my friend? Good question. Um, probably, I think it's hard to it's hard to do it sometimes because you are setting yourself up with such high expectations from your fans, right? Like, um, especially if it's a really good film, to, to, to then do a sequel that satisfies everyone, I think it's hard because people get so emotionally connected to the the original film. And I think it's just a matter of expectations get a little bit too high and people have a hard time seeing it for what it is on its own as a standalone film maybe could be but maybe maybe with the whole um sort of rise of tv series maybe people will be a little bit more receptive to uh, sorry trilogies or sequels or whatever especially sequels um just um because people now are used to seeing a sequel in, in the form of like multiple episodes of, of a show maybe i don't know that could help mm. people maybe come around to it a little bit more more you know, another thing is a lot of times 
uh, for sequels, it's not the same director. So that could have a part to play with it because mm -hmm. uh, when it's that when that's the case, I feel it's the new director's imitation of what they think made it the original film good. So, but when you have the same director, yet you have to struggle with trying to sort of one up yourself in the sense. Yeah. Yeah. And about the, your concept of different directors, like a good mm -hmm. example that just came to mind would be the Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, because mm -hmm. th that film, the first one, George Lucas directed it, and Empire was directed by another guy, Irving mm -hmm. Kirchner. And that film proved to be much better than the first one. So I get your point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's also with um, Ridley Scott and Alien and James Cameron and Aliens, how he sort of took it in a more action-y direction, but also still kept the essence of what the Alien franchise is. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, but it, it is a different spin on it as an action movie compared to a suspenseful horror, so... Like uh, like I said before, um, like you have to start small and then you expand your ideas even more. Yeah. Kind of like uh, like the MCU, for example. Like in a in a way, because um, it it didn't try to you know like build their universe. It like after the first film, it 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 just expanded it from time to time. Yeah all right off the bat basically yeah and they also started with a f framework of characters and then build up from there so you introduce all the characters first and then you can start crossing them over then you can start having them interact in the same world and with that it creates a more fleshed out universe so true, very true. In fact, now this has me thinking another meta example would have to be your show ding, D-M-U-R-B-F. Like at first it was, it started out small, like just a university radio show. But now look, it's like a global web show, like a global phenomenon. <laughs> still, still nowhere near that yet, but I appreciate it, Nick. I appreciate the high praise, but... You know, you have to start small and just, you just see it transform into something new, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And you, you just don't know what it'll transform into. Like it could, it could, you have to be open to that, right? Like as a creator, you just create something and you never know what it'll be. So exactly. like, I think you just have to embrace that. Like who knows? Maybe one day we will have Steven Spielberg here on Sin City. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one piece of prize. It'll take time. One, one day. Mm -hmm. One day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, I think with, I think from the writer perspective, like a lot of writers, their screenplays are so different from what the adaptation ends up being like and i'm sure a lot of writers they've had to learn that as as like they might have an idea of what their screenplay is but once the director takes it and it goes through so many different hands after them it, it becomes something that maybe they couldn't have imagined from the beginning and in some ways i think that's kind of the amazing thing about just creating something is you you come up with an idea but you let other people um, expand on it and that's kind of the interesting thing about film and maybe sequels is maybe someone someone directs or writes uh, the original film and hands it off to another director writer who might take it in an entirely new direction that they couldn't have imagined mm -hmm. so I think it's pretty inspiring you, you just don't know what will 
come of your one idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think sequels um, deserve a little bit more, a little bit more credit, because sometimes they do get a bad rep, like like you said. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Another. There are sign- some great sequels that stand out on their own. Sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, and um, and no, you finish first. You go first. Oh, I was just saying, like, looking at all the sequels that have come out, some of them I don't even recognize right off the bat as being sequels, just because I see them as a standalone film, and I think that maybe mm-hmm. makes a good sequel. Is yeah. You don't think of it as just a sequel. You see it as this is its own thing. It's unique. It's an individual film. It's connected mm-hmm. to a previous film, but yeah. it's it has power and and uniqueness in its own way so i think that's mm-hmm. what you kind of strive for maybe with making a good sequel mm-hmm. in my opinion I, i have a question for you guys would you consider um separate parts uh sequels for example of uh lord of the rings would you count the mm-hmm. twin towers and return of the king as sequels or are they just continuations of the same story mm-hmm. like, question. yeah of course yeah i guess because the the books were already written right so you can't really define it maybe exactly the same as a sequel but well i think with the books like it was originally made as lord of the rings but it was too big to just publish on its own so they the publisher actually broke it up into separate chunks Mm. But I see it more as different parts to one whole story because, like, if you watch The Fellowship of the Ring, you, you sort of don't get a satisfying ending. And then The Twin Towers, you get a bit more of it, but you still haven't ended the story. But then in Return of the King is a finale. So I feel like it's more of uh, parts to a whole story rather than uh, just sequels to the same thing. Uh, I get yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Like say one one third yeah. of films. Yeah, yeah. Another example is the it movies that came out in the uh-huh. previous yeah. years, because the first movie is good on its own, but the second movie you sort of need the background of the first movie to really get the whole story with. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some differences, like like with what you said, Matt. Like, um, for example, yeah, with Lord of the Rings, how the books were were already produced and like there was it was such yeah. a big story so like you yeah. said they had to um divide even the books into into three parts yeah. and the films the same way so i guess it's like you see like a lot of sequels do do come out well after the first movie was produced with yeah. no intention of a second sequel when making the original it just it just happens whether that's because the director's writer's just want to expand on it or it could even be sometimes like you've seen um it can actually be because the director might make another few films unrelated to the original afterwards and they might not be successful so then they need to make some money yeah on their losses so they return to what worked before and make a sequel to what worked because you know this could make us money back an example of that, a good example of that is the Friday the Third. I'm not. I'm sorry. The Halloween franchise because mm-hmm. they made um, Halloween and then Halloween Part Two and then for Halloween Three, they sort of went in a whole different direction with a different story. Because I know John Carpenter and I forget who the screenwriter's name was, but um, yeah. 
both of them wanted to make Halloween sort of an anthology series, but Michael Myers got so popular, that's why they made a second one right away. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they tried to get into that, but no one really, like, this is a Halloween movie, where's Michael Myers? And mm-hmm. complained about that. And then they went returned to that. So that, I think that's an exa- good example of them just doing it to make money, is just to keep the pockets full. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. The Halloween franchise is basically, from what I see, is a choose your own adventure type franchise because the timeline keeps like changing. Because one, like in Hall- Halloween Six, many people didn't Halloween Four through Six, many people didn't like it. So yeah. the, the directors, the producers, took notes. So they decided to like create a new film that ignores all of the other the other yeah. rest. And they did the same thing a couple of years ago in 2018. They yeah. ignored every sequel and made it just a a sequel to the original yeah so what do you guys think of that like a a choose your own adventure type franchise because halloween the terminator the x-men movies did this like try to Mm. retcon to just to satisfy fans i I think it's good because you can sort of pick and choose what your canon is like you're like oh i think these are canon oh i don't really like these ones but um i think it can get a bit confusing for people trying to get into those movie series because it's like okay so what do i need to watch basically so yeah yeah Yeah, i agree with matt um hmm, that's a really good question but i what you said matt that makes sense yeah i know familiar with like like Friday the 13th for example like all the movies in the Marvel universe I'm not too familiar with like the all of the movies but yeah I, I agree with you that it's like hard to it's hard to know where to start yeah. maybe from it I also know the like Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise is sort of like that because they there was like a series from the original uh where I think they make three movies with that and then there was uh Texas um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Beginning, and I think that one had Matthew McConaughey in it. It's it's, a, it's more goofier, that one. but uh, And then in 2003, they sort of rebooted it with, like, a French director, and then they're, like, with all that. And they they are okay movies, but they, they're not as... They don't have the sort of grittiness and grimy, grit and grind, I would say, as the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the sequels for that one did. They, I know the second one introduced a character, Chop Top, and he was just a character who did sort of a parody of it, a uh, video online. Uh, and they're like, okay, well, we want him in the movie. So that's a. Yeah. But. So. Yeah, I think if you just keep trying to build on top of a movie, you can sort of make it into a giant mess with all the sequels and reboots and reboots, sequels to reboots. And yeah. Great. So true. It has, to, it has no continuity, let's say. Yeah. 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 Another way I think when you know a sequel is really good, like usually when people watch a sequel, they say, ah, no, the first one's better. But the way you know a sequel is good is if there is still debate about it. Like like the Godfather, the first two Godfather, like the Godfather part one was a masterpiece. The second one was, it, w- it was great, one of the best sequels. And yet there is still, even today, there's still debate as saying if the Godfather two was better or on its own or if it, the first one's better so yeah i think so that that debate yeah. shows it's still a good sequel yeah absolutely 
Yeah. And I guess, like, what what are some examples do you think of like sequels that just went off the mark? Like, maybe had something good going with the original film, but the sequel just didn't hold up. Like, what are some examples off the top of your head? I'm trying to think of some. There are definitely some famous examples, but. Um, I know um, this one might be a bit controversial, but um, Evil Dead 2, if... So, because the first Evil Dead was made by Sam Raimi and just uh, his friends like Bruce Campbell, just filming a a movie in Kevinswood, and you can really see the low budget and how they had to do... You could really see the that it wasn't a Hollywood film. And then after that was a success, he got a budget and then went back and made Evil Dead 2, which was kind of funny because in the first part, um, they didn't have the rights to the original film, so they had to sort of do a recap in the first half of it. But then you just... You do continue the story of it, but you can see it's a lot more goofier and a lot more of a horror comedy compared to The Evil Dead. That's right. Yeah. And I know um, uh, there was the Evil Dead remake, and I think that was about 2009. And that one was a horror movie, and I think Sam Raimi described it as Evil Dead if he had the budget, a big budget to make it as he would at the time. So it had a lot of just like gory effects. It's a lot more like it's a lot better shot because it's years later. But it's also just how he would make the movie if he had a real budget to make the movie. So if you see Evil Dead 2, you can see that sort of doesn't really capture the intended uh, spirit of the original. But it sort of just continues the story of Ash and but makes it a lot more goofy. So, mm-hmm. but it's a great sequel nonetheless. If you are just into uh, horror comedy, it's a great one. Yes, yeah. I think that the shift, like the shift in tone, like trying to experiment even more. I think that's what makes a good sequel. Like, like you mentioned before, like the Terminator and Aliens. Like, like Terminator was a, was more like a horror sci-fi. Yeah. The next. They up, they made it more action, actiony, same yeah. with aliens, and it proved they both proved to be even better than the first one because it added something new, something you haven't seen before in the first one. It's like it subverts your expectations, basically. Yeah. 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 What do you think of like really, um, like sequels that are not like I was saying like there's sequels that stand alone really well but you know that there's a connection to the previous film but you just you kind of forget about it but what about sequels that are like technically sequels but you few people know because like I think I'm just reading now Silence of the Lambs was technically a sequel to the film Manhunter I had no idea I honestly had no idea that's a shock to me I didn't know that it was connected to any other film so what, what do you think of like cases like that? Do you think that is even more effective sometimes? It's yeah. just like having some universe and you don't really know that there's a connection initially until you learn about it later. I think yeah. actually is pretty clever. Like yeah. if it, it it works in this case because you don't know it's a sequel, like Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs, if they changed it to Manhunter, like part two, that would have changed things. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's, uh, yeah. And do you think it comes down to just like how massive the, the original film is? Like, let's say it's like just a landmark film. Like, I don't think Manhunter was quite as yeah. big as Silence of the Lambs was. So maybe now Silence of the Lambs is kind of, that's like the new face of like the the franchise, even though yeah. it was the sequel. So sometimes the sequel could like surpass the original film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think of another example. There, there's always the Willy Wonka Snowpiercer as we talked about, but I think that's more of a th- fan theory than a for sure yeah. thing. I'm trying to think of the yeah. I know a example of a sequel that may have fallen flat, or I'm not actually too sure. Um, uh, Doctor Sleep. Uh, Yeah, it was a sequel to The Shining. But what happened was uh, Stephen King uh, wrote The Shining in about, I think, the 70s. Because I know the movie was made in the 1980. But then um, he wrote a sequel to the book that follows Danny's story. And that was a success. So they were like, okay, let's make a movie of it. But then I think it's Mike Flanagan who was the creator of it. Um, yeah, uh, he made the Doctor Sleep sequel to a sequel, um, a sequel to uh, Stanley Kubrick's Shining. So uh, it has all the, yeah. It's more a sequel to the film and not yeah. the novel. Yeah, it's a sequel to the film, but it follows the story of the novel. So, and it like released like thirty years after that, and um, I know I showed The Shining for. Um, my club and people didn't really find it too scary because I think just how taste has changed over the times. And then, um, I watched Dr. Sleep with, um, uh, some of the people who, uh, I saw, I showed the shining to, and they were like, they were actually scared of it because the more modern ideas of what horror is with the, like, flickering lights and just more of the atmosphere it's not just like creepy imagery so um i feel like that's a good example of because it's not a it's more of a twisted reboot because it's not a reboot of it does bring the movie into the modern era like because it has all the same sort of things in the shining like the twins and then the lady in the bathroom they have all that in doctor sleep but it still keeps the original in canon and it's not just redoing the same old thing true true yeah. the shining i think is it's just that horror film that people just don't get i yeah. guess they're expecting a conventional horror film with, with those tropes you mentioned like the flickering lights the jump scares yeah. yeah it hasn't really aged well with some fans yeah i enjoy it now yeah a more recent example, like Dane, I want to talk to you more about your your two films, uh, West with Voices and East with Echoes. Like, yeah. like would you consider um, East with Echoes to be a sequel to West with Voices or more like a half of a one big movie? Mm, that's a really good question. Really good question, Nick. I think, like, as they're short films, we are kind of at the point now where it's like, because I've handed it off to to Ryan Robinson, he, he directed and produced the sequel to my sh- original short film, and um, he wrote it as well. So 
We're in the midst of kind of deciding that. Like, I guess it's kind of in that limbo right now where we're like, we don't know where it's going to go. Like, we could we could end up making it into one singular film down the road, or these will stand as just like a web series, like parts one and two. Who knows if a third will ever come to life? There's what are you talking about it? So it's like it's interesting. Um, that's really. It really, it really helps you kind of understand maybe what other directors or writers might go through because sometimes you, you don't know if the sequel and or if there's a third one coming or if there's a whole range of other things that come out of it. So that's kind of the exciting thing about just creating is, is you really don't know what it'll end up looking like, especially with short films because they are different from a feature film and just they're so small in length and are so short in length and um yeah it's it's interesting for sure when you're starting out just making stuff as like uh as you know your first creations you never know what will come with them so they they might end up we might like redoing them completely down the road and when we actually have money and make them into something better than what we could have done as university students so it's, it's really interesting you just don't know Maybe you could make a, a huge franchise, a huge franchise with West with voices. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's with echoes, and you could maybe yeah. make mer- merchandise or it like shirts that say "work like sanctify." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. If we have the opportunity, that would be incredible. Just, it's really exciting. That's why I've kind of, I, I appreciate sequels more now than I used to. Now that I've experience making yes. a short film and then like it's equal to a short film is because it's really exciting like you 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 start to see so many possibilities and i think that's why maybe so many directors writers enjoy enjoy it today or or have gravitated more to tv series because they know they have like unlimited unlimited range with what they can do and there's no limit so i think that's a really attractive thing for directors i think is like just there's so much you can do and Today, especially with just the need for content, the demand for content, there's just you really, you really feel like there's no limit, and it can be kind of overwhelming to even know where to stop or what to do next because it's just you can do anything basically if you, if you have like uh, the time and everything for it and the the money for it. So it's interesting, it's really interesting. It reminds me kind of of. Um, you guys know Nicholas Winding Refn. He directed um, Drive and Valhalla Rising. Um, yes. Only God Forgives. He's he's one of my f- favorite directors. He's pretty he's pretty interesting. Like he also did the Neon Demon, and so a lot of people kind of saw maybe his sequels after Drive to be, and they were expecting them to be sequels, but they really weren't, and they're really not meant to be sequels. There's no connection to Drive, but because of the stylistic similarities and the similar feel and music and just the visual style, a lot of people um, thought, like, Only God Forgives and The Neon Demon would be sequels to Drive, or assume they are because they look similar. So I think that's also something that directors have to deal with or struggle with, is, like, if they want to make something that's unrelated to that film, but with a similar visual style and, and tone, it could get compared as a sequel, and that could be actually not a, not what they're intending at all. So I think that's interesting. It's like, is how filmmakers deal with their next project. If they want to continue in that style, if that will draw too many comparisons to a film that has nothing to do with it, 
True. I think that's interesting. It is. Uh, there can be some like some Easter eggs, right? That show it's a sequel, basically. Yeah. Yeah, or even Easter eggs. I don't. I don't know. Like Nicholas Ronnie Ruffin. Like I think he definitely he uses just just so many similar like stylistic choices in a lot of his films, and they unfortunately um, some of them get discredited as like as maybe through fans' expectations of what they loved with Drive, they, they don't love as much with other films after it, but it's kind of unfair maybe to assume that there's any connection. Or So sequels could maybe be great for directors or they could kind of be, if they're unintentional or they're, they're um, people, people draw comparisons and, and make um, predictions or try to find connections i think it can be kind of hard for directors to break out of that um and just start a new original film after a really successful film especially if there's any similarity yeah very wise words dang very wise words. <laughs> I, was, I was rambling I'm, I'm trying to think of like better examples off the top of my head with like things you can compare this to but um i'm sure there's other examples out there of like just a filmmaker that did something really well. They try to do something similar, but it's not connected to it. And then people are upset that it's not what they were expecting. Can you think of anything else like that? Uh, no, no. Like uh, Get Out and Us. Yeah, that's a great example. Like they're not technically sequels, but they feel very similar in, the, in directing style and themes. So yeah, I know with that also Edgar Wright's. Um, Cornell trilogy, they have a sort of similar style, but are different genres and use the same actors as different characters. Like, who is it? Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yeah. Yeah, but like they, there's similar styles, and people always say, "Oh, they're connected." And but I feel like it's just a director's style over the actual in-universe connections, if there are any. Yeah. Yeah, like I guess with also like Tarantino too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's done one sequel, um, Kill Bill Two. Yeah. But other than that, everything else been has been original, right? Like no, yeah. there's been no other sequels yet. But there's some people. Obviously, there's Easter eggs that are really interesting. So he's yeah. building a universe rather than a franchise or. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of hard to do if you want to like act like not many directors can get away with that. You have to be really really intentional like you have to make really bold statements that are hey john sorry guys i'm late no worries no worries worries. how are you john pretty good i just helped my dad with some stuff so he's a little bit late talking about quentin tarantino and how um he has built a he's built a universe rather than ever tried to build a franchise like Kill Bill has is a sequel, right? But he's never he's never done any that's, other sequels. Sorry. Oh no worries. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of iffy because Tarantino can doesn't cons- he considers Kill Bill volumes one and two to be just one movie instead of just more than one. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like you see in um, Once, Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's lots of references to all of his previous films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's no, there's no direct connection between it and any other film. But I guess it's, it's really like up to the director, I guess, to differentiate and like. Yeah. That interpretation has such a big part of 
what is actually considered to be, you know, what connections are drawn. Like, directors can be as deliberate as they want, but I think it, a lot of it comes down to the fan interpretation or the audience. Yeah. Which is interesting because it kind of becomes, you kind of lose the control of your film maybe as a director. Like, it becomes yeah. the people's film rather than your own film. Yeah. Which is, I think it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of another example of like, what, what do you guys think of like films that became more of the, of a keep like a person's film, like the public's film rather than like an auteur's film? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think a classic example is The Room, how mm-hmm. Tommy Wiseau thought he created a artistic masterpiece, but then people just made fun of it the whole time. It's sort of become yeah. this culty joke movie that everyone brings up. Oh, it's so bad. You, have, you haven't seen The Room, you know? Mm-hmm. The whole... Yeah. But I feel like that one is where the audience has taken hold of it and made it their sort yeah. of their own that's Definitely. really yeah <laughs> it's it's really true and like the disaster artist came out of that and like yeah that's a good movie very interesting very interesting <laughs> how many examples that are similar to that one that's like really unique like almost like it's a very 21st century meme culture that gave birth yeah. to disaster artists yeah the kind of like delay because the room was like or sorry room you know the room yeah. sorry. i don't i don't want to mix it up with room that's another movie really great movie. Uh, completely different that movie actually takes place in a room yeah yeah and that's that's a great movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and the room is great in its own way too but it definitely it's is fun. Yeah. it's just fun but it's, it's kind of it's almost like watching a, a bad uh, soap opera yeah like just the way it was filmed i guess it was i don't know if it was the cinematography i guess but it just kind of felt like you're watching like the young and the restless or something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah do you guys often watch i, I know it's not been unrelated but do you guys like you know watch soap operas like often <laughs> I saw a couple of my grandmother when I was younger, like Young and the Restless. And I just noticed how like the the, cam- the cinematography in soap operas, it's a, it has a very distinct like style. Mm-hmm. It's almost like cheap, but it's like, I don't know really how to explain it. It's not really like a sitcom, but like it's a little bit like different. Yeah, it's almost like reality TV and like the but it's actually yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and yeah, it's weird because most like uh soap operas they've been going on for like like one show has been going on for like 20 30 years oh yeah yeah i don't know why it's, it's super long i think they like filmed the episodes like a day before it's supposed to air Oh, okay. Yeah. I know when when sitcoms like that. I know another example of sort of the fans um, uh, take control of the art is Star Wars. That's really good because everyone has their own idea of what Star Wars should be, and they get upset when it's not like that or it's too different from their vision. Yeah, like The Last of Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. The fan base of Star Wars is very toxic, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love I love Ryan Johnson though. He's a good director. Oh yeah. Right. But it was just different for Star Wars. I I did like how he did take like some risks. Yeah. Because people were mad about the Force Awakens being like yeah. too familiar, but then yeah. people got mad when the Last Jedi was too different. So yeah, it's kind of like what do you guys like want now? <laughs> but I guess the perfect balance is like good. Yeah, and then they tried that with the Rise of Skywalker by appealing more to the fans. It also didn't work. So yeah, yeah. because that's not what they want. They want what they want, not just oh, let's just show them a bit of this and. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we really are yeah. very hard. Do you think that the audience ever really knows what they want, or are they? Do you think it's better to to just introduce something new that they could want like what, what do you think what is it all about appealing to the audience or do you think you have to challenge the audience a little bit i think gotta challenge the audience definitely yeah. if we want to like move forward with like movies and stuff like new ideas and stuff yeah because no one, really one of the big problem with sequels is they just make something like the original because it made money they want to make more money and it's just the, the same thing like mm -hmm. i can not tell you what happens in the last few x-men movies because it's oh. basically the same thing they're let's introduce yeah. these new characters oh there's this big bad let's fight the big bad and then it's over it's like there's no weight to any of it because it's all the same thing and it becomes formulaic how you just keep going over and over i did like days of the future's past yeah. well, that That's one was the yeah, yeah. That, that one did something different with how they implemented the sort of time travel to how they sort of mixed the old it, it was basically their retconning movie how they took the old characters and brought the and then brought them into the so yeah they pulled took it off the, the yeah the old characters brought them into the past for the new characters but then like dark phoenix is like i don't even want to talk about that <laughs> good choice yeah. i know Another thing sequels do is if a property or a license hasn't been used in a while, what mm -hmm. happens is they, they're, they're, they're going to lose it. So they basically just shit out a crappy, um, a crappy version of it just to keep the rights to the movie. So for it wouldn't, so other people couldn't get a hold of them. Like I know, for example, the past few Hellraiser movies are like that. The, of uh, Fantastic Four was like that, and they just the, most of the reason oh, that man. movies were like that. It's yeah. just so they. It's mm -hmm. basically out of spite. If uh, we, we want to keep this property, but we don't want anyone else to have it, even though we're not doing anything meaningful with it. So it's it's pretty selfish too, because they like they just kind of like wreck it, and then yeah. they don't like they don't pay attention to like the source material and stuff. I, yeah, I think I'm, uh, I'm all for new ideas as long as they like pull it off right. But yeah. if they don't like really care about it, and then it's just all like about 
money and stuff, then it's like it's not good anymore. True um, about about that. Uh, when making a good sequel, not just a sequel, but also a good movie, they both work. Um, what really matters is trying to make it good. Is trying to tell a story, like not just doing it for the money, because then mm-hmm. it's, it's more like a cash grab rather than an actual film. Like, exactly. come on. Like with the new Star Wars, basically, they just kept making more and more movies, even though it should have ended. Just satisfy their own wallets. I guess it's kind of like similar to any business, right? Like how it's like you're like you see all these companies that's like trying to monopolize a market, right? Like you have the Amazons, the Googles. It's like they they know they are the most successful, so rather than let competitors you know maybe become more successful than them it's just just stranglehold the market just yeah. make as much money yeah. as well. it's kind of it just shows like i don't know uh, it's I'm pretty not, sad to think about actually yeah like i'm not trying to hate on like the big um franchises that pull in a lot of money i think there's mm-hmm. some that do a really good job of um, yeah actually having artistic value but it's just it's never good if that's your first intention. It's just mm-hmm. let's just try to maximize how much money we can pull in because I don't know. It's just you're not you're not spreading the you're not like letting new ideas come into you know the cultural sphere. You're not like I don't know. I think it's kind of selfish as like yeah. producers, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, the work of art should come first before the money, definitely. And the story. So true. Yeah. The disciples that way. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You go first. No worries. It's it's like there's like the difference between I think like you know, sequels to maximize profits because you know it's going to reach a great mass audience versus like like I was saying before how um, some trilogies or some sequels only come to fruition because there is a need for money like let's say uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is another example he his his original film Pusher did well he mm-hmm. produced like two other films afterwards I think both lost money and so it put him into a lot of debt and he, he wasn't like a massive Hollywood blockbuster director at this point he was still like an independent filmmaker in his home home country of Denmark like so he wasn't like in touch with like Hollywood yet but he he basically just decided it, it makes sense right if like you're in debt as a director you're like a small time director what else are you going to do other than maybe get out of it by going back to something that worked in making a trilogy so he made pushers two and three which actually helped him continue his career sustain his career which he then went on to become a hollywood filmmaker later mm-hmm. on drive and um the neon demon in recent years so i guess that's more understanding if like you're starting off and like you don't want yeah. to be run out of the industry because they've run out of money. So if you try to support small-time filmmakers that might be in debt that way because yeah. one film after their one successful one could could have lost them a lot of money. It's like a gamble most of the time. So I think that's different from like these blockbusters that just keep sucking up as much money as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like with the small-time filmmakers they're the ones who actually put effort into a sequel because it's not just a reflection of uh their it's a reflection of them basically because it's another one of their movies whereas if it's a studio they 
uh, make like 10 movies a year or whatever and if one mm-hmm. movie does bad it doesn't really reflect poorly on them as a company because they're just so big it's not exactly. more yeah it's not the individual factor of the person mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's really interesting it's so you can you can see how sequels could help maybe some smaller directors get out of a hole and just pick themselves up again, maybe dust themselves off and start making again. But other, otherwise it can sometimes get a little bit haywire and sequels become a little bit too, you can tell the intention is maybe more to just maximize (laughs) the success of the original one. You can either make it complicated. Yeah. If there's one thing I know is one speaking of which one movie franchise that was never meant to be a franchise or and it's one huge cash grab would be the the Jaws movies, wouldn't you? Oh, oh. Like, right, right, right. The first one they made three more sequels and as none of them managed to be as good as the first one. Like the second one was a mixed bag. The third one, much like Friday thirteenth, was made in three D, which I which right. Cheap gimmick, and the fourth one. Well, the less said about that, the better. Yeah, I, I did see Jaws: Revenge on TV oh. one time. Yeah. Oh I know. Uh, with uh, an example of just a movie, just keep building on top of each uh, each other one and becoming an incoherent mess would be the Fast and the Furious franchise. Right. Like every movie they try to one up the previous one. Like mm-hmm. first one's about cars and then it's I don't now it's know. about like heist. It's like yeah, yeah. actually no it's like space or something now with like yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's gotten out of control. But because of all the previous movies, people just keep seeing the new one because it's like, oh, I'm familiar with this movie. Why not? And I, I do love Too Fast, Too Furious, though. That one is yeah. nostalgic. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that, that's one of the good titles, like Aliens, Too Fast, Too Furious. Where I do have, yeah. I have a liking for Too Fast, Too Furious. Though. Yeah, yeah. But I know, like, one of, I think the most recent one, there's a shot in the trailer where it's a Jeep driving off a cliff, and then it shoots, like, a grappling hook, and then just, like, flies over the cliff. And oh. It's, it's, it's nonsense at this point, but it, people watch it, so it's... Yeah. Which one are they on now? It's, like, eight or, like, nine? I think nine. I'm pretty sure it's nine. I don't think I even saw... I don't think I even saw eight yet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incoherent mess, I would say. I think at this point the the James Bond franchise would have to be the movie with has like many like it has many many movies and yet yeah. it shows no signs that it's going bad or going to hell it's still going strong. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about those movies is because it kind of whenever they make those movies it kind of goes with um it's like almost timeless so it they always like update it with like an actor and stuff yeah. trying to keep the James Bond character alive and if yeah. you look at some of the the movies they reflect like what's going on in the re- real world with like terrorism yeah. and stuff and like uh they're like been like uh drug lords and stuff in like the 80s and yeah. like stuff that was going on in the 70s yeah, it's kind of cool how it kind of it's watching like all of them is kind of like a time capsule. 
Yeah. Like, cool. I, I brought this up now because what something I I'm kind of I kind of don't get is like how like how can these move these long franchises like the James Bond movies or the Marvel movies like what wh they have run for so many years and they're still going good like what works in those franchises that others don't like I have. I think it's for the uh, James Bond series, it's the ubiquity of the character. Like everyone knows James Bond. Every know everyone knows what he's about. And because of that, they don't really need to have a background on him. He's like a super spy, a womanizer, and they, they already know this. And then they can just throw him in any stories. And like John was saying, how he's, he can be placed in different situations mm -hmm. throughout the development of the world at the time. And yeah, I know um, there's a actual fan theory that suggests that uh, James Bond is actually a code name for Agent 007, and all the movies are just the different periods of a different agent. But right. I know that that sort of falls apart oh. with one where it's um, on His Majesty's Secret Service. I know it's, I think it, mm -hmm. it, it was someone's only outing as Bond. And in that movie, he got married and his wife got killed at the end. And that, yeah. Sort of like, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's sort of like, is the only sort of part of the theory that unwinds. But to think that it's a, to think of it in that way, how they're just different agents in different periods of time develop. And then that's how it can sort of have the cohesion of the same feel, but different yeah. movies. It's, it's kind of like, yeah, like the Colombian, like, drug lord days and, like, the, the kung fu, like, days and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. and, Another thing I appreciate about the Bond movies is that unlike other franchises, like in the James Bond franchise, it's basically an anthology series. Like we don't have to watch them in any particular order. Well, yeah. apart from the Daniel Craig ones, but yeah. you can pick out any order you want. It's like a choose your own adventure type. Yeah. But, yeah, but with the Bond films, I think at this point there is a formula that you yeah. can follow. You need like cool gadgets, you need a Bond girl, you need an opening theme. You can sort of draw up a format for what a Bond film is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, yeah. I would I would like them to uh I would like to see them break the formula maybe eventually if it would yeah. work. I'm all for that. That'd be cool while still keeping like the original aspects, but that would be cool yeah. if they yeah. tried something different. Would you say they broke the formula a lot in the in the Craig era starting in Casino Royale? I think they did with us. Uh, with Skyfall, because that was more of a personal, like, personal, like, Bond story, like, going into his personal life and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, a, like, a needed change, because you could kind of see, like, I, I still love Pierce Brosnan as Bond, like, he's one of my favorite yeah. Bonds, just because, like, Golden his, his look and his, like, he has that aura of James Bond, but the movies were not the strongest by Mark. So. Yeah, Tomorrow Never did, Dies wasn't, it was a uh, change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like it was just there's something that they needed to change, and it was it was a really really positive move forward. I think. Definitely. Yeah. Because yeah. every once in a while, like franchises kind of stagnate, where you're like, 
it's just not as exciting anymore and it's not as new and different and you just need to mix it up yeah be a little bit bolder with your choices and yeah yeah definitely worked out which is um i think with like as far as like trying to cast the next bond after daniel mm-hmm. craig, i think they could right. try to do something a little bit yeah wherein, you know I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with that because they have so yeah. many options and, yeah yeah kind of like what, what they're doing with the upcoming batman film basically yes exactly yeah true yeah. Yeah. yeah i feel like they shouldn't we already got a Daniel Craig and like a Pierce uh, Bronson. Um, Roz, sorry, Roz. I butchered his name like that. Yeah. Sorry. But I feel like they should get something like different for like each like time period. Yeah. Well, so it like switches things up as well. And something to go along with like the times of like what's happening right now too, yeah. to make it more relatable. But, but with that, you need to be careful because mm-hmm. yeah. if you make it too different, it might be considered pandering and people might be like, oh, they're just trying to appeal to this group yeah. or this. Yeah. And you can't make it too different. I know on this movie uh, podcast, but I know in the comics for Marvel, they introduced the character of Riri Williams, I think, who became Ironheart. But they set it up how she's going to be the next Iron Man. And the fans didn't like that. So they made her yeah. her own character because they because the fans don't want their it's not their Iron Man. Their Iron Man's like Tony Stark, this mm-hmm. billionaire playboy. But you can't have when you go too far um yeah when you go too different you might lose might. what the fans are looking for you mean kind of like what they did with uh with jason todd in the batman comics right oh yeah because there was a there was a they had a robin at one point that was a girl if i'm correct i think right yeah, yeah that was for um i think um what's the story it's the the Dark Knight re- uh, Returns. Uh, yeah, the yeah, Dark Knight uh, Returns. Um, but I, uh, Jason Todd, um, that's an example of being too similar. Because mm-hmm. basically, um, they made uh, what's it, Dick Grayson into um, Nightwing. And so right. Batman didn't have Robin. So they basically made Jason Todd with a, a similar origin story to Dick Grayson. And because of that, people are like, oh, this is just Robin again. This is just Robin. And then there's the whole um, uh, uh, Death in the Family story where they uh, had the fans go to kill him off. And they did. But then he returned as Red Hood, who is debatably one of the best characters in the Bat family. But as long as I feel like there's a... When they are, like, trying to change, like actors or um characters as long as there's a perfect balance where it's still like it still has like the original like james bond or like robin mold or batman mold but they kind of just update it a a little bit more just change it a little bit just to mix it up but as long as like it's still like faithful to like the original source and everything Yeah. Yeah. When you when you want to introduce when you want to change a character like that, you need to make sure it's not 
too similar where it's the same character but not too different where you lose the, the, what it means for that character you go first you go first oh, i was just gonna say like yeah keep the identity of the the character but you can you can definitely find ways to just i don't know try something new why not um it usually pays off from what I've seen. Like, I think if, if you just had one bond for the last 30 years and it was just like, I don't, I don't know. I think people get bored eventually. Like they just, mm-hmm. people need like, change, but it just needs to be like a smart change. And yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think it, they did really well. So we'll see what happens with the next ones. Yeah. An example I can think of of a like what you mentioned of a new character, a new addition, like would have to be first of all as much as I'm kind of divided in the the new Star Wars movies, but one mm-hmm. thing I agree on would have to be that the best addition is uh, Kylo Ren. Definitely, yeah. Like, like he he's like the a new Vader basically. We already knew that from the trailers, but. What is that he's trying to be his own his own character, like without being a copycat of the original. And I think mm. it works. Like younger and he's he has power but also he's conflicted about it. I think yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Very good insight there. Like right. Like there is similarity to Darth Vader, but um yeah, just something a little bit different. Like you can still ca- like capitalize on like what the fans want, but just guide them towards something slightly different. I think exactly. And, yeah, yeah, like a, a new like a new imagining of it, a reimagining of it. Mm-hmm. Like if you think yeah. about like both characters, like Vader was more like tortured by the dark side, while Kylo Ren was more tortured by the light side. So I think that really strikes a perfect contrast between both characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say so too. Like, uh, and I, some, sometimes some films don't learn from this. Like, who, you guys uh, watch the new Terminator film? No, I, uh, not the newest one. Uh, well, I, I saw the one with Amelia Clark, the, the, yeah. but I haven't seen like the newest, newest one. Because that one, uh, that one, is not, this is not a spoiler, but they basically did the same thing as the first two, but this time they flipped the genders. Like Kyle Reese and John Connor are basically girls now. So, oh, okay. yeah, and, that, that, and, and that's just it, just the gender, but personality wise, nothing new. Yeah, I feel like that's just changing it for the sake of changing it, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And since we're since we're now reach one hour, it's time to get to the question. Like your guys' okay. top three favorite sequels. Let's start with the guest here. All right. Well, my number three favorite sequel. It's kind of a I don't know. I I really enjoy it. It's a Shrek two. Right. Yes. Just that one, and it's nostalgia. I just remember watching it a whole bunch of times. But it's also it's also a good sequel. It builds on top of uh, the original Shrek, expands the world to the kingdom of far, far away, and sort of increases the 
sort of parody on the whole Disney mm -hmm. and the princess idea. I feel like it's just a good continuation of the story as well, because the story did have a good the, of the original Shrek had a good resolution, but sort of continued after with, with like the honeymoon period and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and then my uh, second one is Terminator Two Judgment Day, right? Because yes. just how they increased the um, sort of the idea of what actually happened to humanity in the future, and also the um, T one thousand is a more intimidating villain, I would say, than the Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, T eight hundred. But you you brought him back as sort of a protector figure in this one, right? And yeah, just I would say I would personally say better than the original. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is Aliens. That's, right. Yeah, that's that's one. the good idea for a sequel. You have familiar cast of Ripley, but you have them develop the xenomorphs more because all you know was the eggs and then the whole uh, process of it in the Nostromo, how it bursted out and grew. But here you uh, discover the more about the Wayland Corporation and how even if you're prepared to take them on, you're not prepared because the Space Marines went down and were all guns of blazing where compared to the first one it was more uh survival where the other ones was they set up a set it up more as a hunt rather than just trying to survive and also how it, in, it introduces more of the biology of the xenomorph with the queen and how they don't actually kill people all the time if they have the right resources they actually capture them and use them to incubate more of them so yeah, I like that. Yeah, your turn, John. What are your top three so, for top three, um, definitely Spider Man 2, like Sam Raimi's Spider Man 2. It's definitely one of my favorite sequels. Not only is it nostalgic for me, um, just watching that, um, when I was a younger kid in the theaters with my parents, but it also is probably one of the best superhero movies out there. Even to this day, it just really uh, it showed the personal life of um, Peter Parker and just him juggling um, with his identities of trying to uh, be Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And it just kind of I really it, it's a really relatable like film too. like if anyone in their 20s would watch that, they can like relate to this stuff in it. In it like uh, relationship problems, like uh, education problems and just like finding your own identity. And I thought that was just a really good um, equal Spider-Man too. Um, second would have to go to uh, Mad Max, uh, the road warrior. Oh, yeah. Today's That's today's probably, yeah, I um, I really like that one because I like how it developed on the Mad Max character, um, um after like uh, society has fallen because the first Mad Max was more of like a, it was more of like a cop movie, but like the second one was definitely more of like an apocalyptic film, and it's definitely a really good classic. And um, my uh, third favorite sequel would have to be uh, The Godfather Part 2. I love how it works as a prequel and a sequel because it goes uh, back to show uh, Vito Corleone's past. And it also shows um, what uh, Michael Corleone is up to. And I thought that was a good um, 
thing to bring together in one movie. It's definitely one of the best sequels out there, in my opinion. Nice, nice. Your turn, DMX. Wow, great choices, you guys. Um, I I don't really have like a definite one to three yet, but these are just three. I'm try- I just love them equally, but um, first off, I'll go with uh, the Two Towers, Lord of the Rings. Um, I just I just love that movie. It's I don't know. I don't know why in particular that that's my favorite of the three Lord of the Rings movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I don't know, just so many great scenes, and there, there's something darker about it than maybe the, well, the, the original, or like the first movie was dark, but the, there's something that felt like, you just felt like um, Mordor was like, just so strong, and you just felt like, like everything was against the, the heroes in that one, so, mm-hmm. um, and then, well, I don't know, I love the third one as well, but I, I feel like the the two towers is just, yeah. just the best of, of the three it really showed the characters struggling in the second one too yeah, yeah. it raised the stakes even more mm-hmm. definitely yeah um and then after that i have uh the good the bad and the ugly right yeah was oh, yeah. a sequel until i was researching mm-hmm. these films uh that's part of the i feel like it's like the dollars trilogy yeah um so i haven't i haven't seen the previous films mm-hmm. but i i just i love the good the bad and the ugly and i think it that it, it's kind of become like the adoptive face of the the trilogy mm-hmm. because it's just mm-hmm. it was the most culturally impactful and it's probably the first one most people see because it is such an iconic yeah. film so it's like mad max road warrior it's yeah like, yeah yeah very very similar um and yeah that's that was my introduction to a lot of spaghetti westerns and to clint eastwood's films and yeah. i think it's just a perfect movie per- perfect for the time like it's unbelievably just so much better than maybe a lot of the other spaghetti westerns at the time too so mm-hmm. i mean there are so many good ones but this one is i think it's like the it's very iconic too yeah yeah very iconic film and then after that i have um mad max fury road which is kind yeah of it's a good one too third right like it's after road warrior that's the, the fourth oh it's the fourth the fourth there was one called beyond thunderdome but that one didn't really do too well right 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 i forgot about that but that is a very good sequel fury road yeah yeah i i haven't seen the other films which i feel ashamed to admit but it's okay uh, i do love fury road like it's just it's just it's just an epic movie and it's it does everything so well just makes it almost works as like a reboot too but it's also like a sequel almost yeah it stands alone quite well you don't have to see the other films but it yeah i'm interested to watch the others because the the, the feeling in it is just so unique and like the universe is so great photography too yeah. what a lovely day what a lovely day <laughs> exactly what a love and it has good yeah good has good quotes too for a yeah. 2015 movie too yeah yeah I was really, I was really impressed by that. I saw that in, in like theaters. I think I saw it in IMAX, which um, I, I saw. Don't... Yeah, I think I saw it in IMAX too. <laughs> I was like in grade eleven. Yeah, I don't usually go for for like three D films, but it was good. Yeah. And then I watched it again later, and just on TV, like on my home TV, and 
I kind of like the 3D a bit better, which I'm surprised because yeah. I normally don't like 3D in any way. So it did 3D well, like it helped it held up as a 3d film so i think that's impressive you know with that when a lot of the effects were practical so that gives some mm-hmm. real space to the 3d elements For compared sure. to something where it's just not there so they just yeah. can just bring it forward but when all the stunts are actually done you can really get the feel the 3d space with them mm-hmm. yeah Really good movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can't stress enough. Uh, Nick, I think it's your turn. Sure thing. Uh, for me, my number three would have to be The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Iconic Thank film. You. Definitely. Like that film, I I love how much like with Dane's and with the Two Towers, it really showed that the characters, the main characters actually struggling, like it mm-hmm. helps make them more relatable, like more humans. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it actually showed them losing, really. Mm-hmm. They, they were defeated at the end. And that's yeah. for some films, that's kind of hard to do without yeah. giving the audience hope basically but the way they did it with them looking out into space they give a sense that this is uh gave a sense of um defeat but there is hope at the end of it which is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because it was kind of a it was kind of like a bad ending because it made audiences like oh no so like what are they gonna do now sort of thing but it it did turned out to be like one of the perfect star wars movies because it did show how they were struggling and yeah. and it was different completely different from um a new hope too because it was more darker great very much and also like it really i love the development of luke's character like as he's mm-hmm. trying to learn the ways of the force and also trying to not also not just trying to master his power but also trying to master himself as a person yeah, as a human being. yeah. yeah. and just and the ending too is like the reveal is just shocking even today it is yeah people who haven't seen it they're it's just shocking for them. Yeah. Um, and also how it develops the Star Wars Star Wars world mm-hmm. with um, different and unique planets that we haven't seen before, like Hoth and Dagobah and Cloud City are all distinctly unique. But you feel that it is galaxy wide, and you feel like it is possible for them to. Um, for them to be connected in a grand universe. True. Yes. Right, right. And about that ending, I love the fact that it showed that the hero, the heroes uh, kind of lost this one because Star Wars is, in a way, it's a family-friendly uh, film. There are some dark moments in kids, but I think it's good because it shows them that you know that they're that they're the world isn't all full of light. That sometimes mm-hmm. good doesn't always triumph over evil, and I think this is one of the first films to show that. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like it's to real life situations, but yeah, like the like the, not everyone is gonna have a not everyone is gonna win every day, but you can keep trying. Yeah, like but overall, the Empire Strikes Back, like the dark side of the Force, was really strong in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it has my 
favorite scene in Star Wars is when they're on the bridge of the Star Destroyer yeah. with the bounty hunters and just mm-hmm. they notice negation. Yeah. That has my favorite character in the Star Wars universe, Zuckus in it. Yeah, Zuckus. He's one of the bounty hunters and the thing I'm upset about is that's his only canon appearance now. Before yeah. he appeared in like some short stories and that. But in the in canon it's like Zuckus on Imperial Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. But yeah, I don't know. I find that a cool scene that also helps build the world. How there are the bounty hunters are one of the most interesting part for, mm-hmm. uh, for Star Wars for me. How they have the um, sort of the underbelly and how they're how it's it, yeah, it's just interesting how there's this added depth just from that one small scene. Yeah, because they aren't exactly Jedi's too. They're completely different from Jedi. Yeah, yeah, and they're sort of. Um, Fighting for their own lives, too. Yeah. I would describe them as, like, renegades. They're not really renegades, but they're, um, they show the more of, like, scummy side of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. The Tatooine, how it's... Yeah. The criminal... Um, the sort of behind-the-scenes of what... So out of the Empire's control. Right. Like, right. Yeah. My favorite one scene that stands out to me in Empire, like my favorite, would have to be that scene where Vader is speaking to the Emperor for the first time. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I like that because when I because when we first saw it, like Vader, we, we know there's an Emperor, but Vader's like this this threatening this villain, but just watching Vader kneel for the first kneel, like mm-hmm. it's so that there's, there's someone behind him, like someone more powerful than him. Yeah. And we see the emperor, like it's a bit like unnerving. Like you, you'd think that you would have thought that the most powerful being in the galaxy would be this frail old man, but then the next film shows us otherwise. Yeah. And I yeah. Think it's also a great introduction to what is probably the like the big bad like the main villain of the whole Star Wars story. Yeah. Exactly. And uh moving on my number two would have is the same as yours in that Terminator two. Yeah. It's amazing movie. Probably the best action film I've ever seen too. No, yeah. Like every like there are so, moment like every minute there is iconic. Like from the mm. truck chase scene, yeah. the hospital escape, and the whole like the the factory fight. Like I mm-hmm. I don't even know which one is stands out from the other. Like, yeah. I like how the effects and. Uh, the second Terminator are you could tell like the difference like they definitely improved the effects in mm-hmm. on Judgment Day yeah and I like how it was, it was more it was kind of a, a genre switch almost like the first Terminator was more a horror and the second yeah. one was more of like an an action like sort of thing. yeah and, and they kind of did that with Aliens too like the the, the genre switch and they did something a bit similar uh, to to it both films like uh not just in the tone but like in the first alien uh, the end a bad guy in the next one the android proved to be the good guy which is what they did with the t-800 in both terminators like yeah pretty clever, pretty clever. 
Mm-hmm. I bet. I bet audiences were shocked when they first yeah. discovered that the T eight hundred was the good guy all along. It's funny because I saw Terminator Two Judgment Day first, and then I saw the first Terminator after that. So I was kind of like shocked a little bit because I was too used to seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger as like the good guy, and then I was like, "Whoa!" So it was like reverse for me. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love about uh, Terminator Two uh, action aside is the the theme. Like, to me, like Terminator Two is a film that explains like what it really means to be human. Like mm-hmm. see as the. And I like how the role reverses. Like as the Terminator learns how to be human, uh, the other, the human Sarah Connor is like starting to lose her own humanity and tries right. to get pretty close. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a great sequence. Definitely. And 30 years later, they still haven't managed to make it even better. Mm-hmm. And my number one favorite sequel is not just my favorite sequel of all time, but also my favorite film of all time, Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight. Yeah. Amazing movie. That was definitely my top five list. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, top five in sequels or in films? I don't know. Sequels and probably top 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 10 at least for all films top 15 nice nice yeah like like that's one of the best batman movies in my opinion definitely yeah Yeah, like i don't even know where to start like yeah let's start with the basics here the joker like amazing oh yeah heath ledger it was phenomenal in that role Yeah. Yeah. yeah It brought, he brought a sort of energy and sort, he brought what the character required, uh, this psychotic energy and mayhem that the Joker should have everywhere he goes. And how the makeup for him was just sort of not fully on, like you tell it was faded in parts. It gave sort of a realism, like he does wear this all the time. It's not just, oh, let's put this on while I go out. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's definitely one of those movies that overshadow the original because no one really thinks of Batman Begins. It's more the Dark Knight and oh, Batman Begins. Yeah. He just had such a gritty like look too, and he was just like. He was just terrifying because he just his Joker just came out of nowhere too. Like, I don't think I think there are like fan theories and stuff, but he kind of just like came into Gotham like randomly, which is like super mysterious and spooky. Yeah, and I love how even though like the joke they made the Joker, who is a comic book villain, into someone that could really exist. Like this Joker is an anarchist, a a terrorist, a a nihilist, which there are actually people who exist like in real life, which brings the fear factor up to 11. Yeah. Heath Ledger said he took inspiration, I think, from Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols (laughs) and um, the character Alex from uh, A Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what the influences were for the Dark Knight's Joker. Very different from um, Jack Nicholson's Joker, for sure. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's also more it's more about Batman with the mayhem he causes because he is trying to sort of take down the witch. He goes after like the accountant and yeah, and uh, with uh, kidnapping Rachel and Harvey Dent, who are trying to make the well, Harvey Dent's trying to make the streets mm-hmm. cleaner. It's mm-hmm. sort of what Batman was trying to do, but more formal and more official. Mm-hmm. And where Rachel is sort of a pseudo love interest, or love, I think it was a love interest at, mm-hmm. uh, for Bruce Wayne. It sort of caused a more personal yeah. evil to him. Right. And the and what I another thing is that I know I keep talking about the Joker, but like the Joker is like Heath Ledger's version is probably my my favorite villain of all time. Like you, he's he's very complex. Like you, he does all these terrible things, but at the same time he he has a point. He has a very makes a good point. Like that people can can good people can turn into monsters if they're pushed to the very limit. It's given the chance. I know that that um, uh, reflects the another comic reference, uh, the Killing Joke, where yeah, in it, really the whole premise is he uh, he goes about a theory with one band one bad day could make a man insane. Yeah. So he basically torments Jim Gordon by shooting Barbara, his uh, daughter, and then basically torturing him through like a carousel of like naked photos of her and like babies heads and just trying to break him but in the end he fails so but that sort of reflects the theory in the dark knight how he's trying to break any sane man and yeah and break society basically yeah yeah because that's what makes the joker so effective because he because he knows how to break society because he knows how society works so you yeah. need to know. so yeah but like i can i can go on all day like praising keith ledger's joker like yeah he really did, he did a, a great job definitely he even locked himself in a hotel and stayed yeah. this month to practice all kinds of mental disorders the Joker might have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and also he rightfully won that Oscar. Yeah, so, did. Rest in peace, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. This bottle was empty, by the way. Yeah, and also, like, I love how The Dark Knight, even though it's a superhero film, it's also trying to be its own thing. It's not a superhero film. It's more like a a crime thriller, a crime drama. Yeah. Like, I think that works. It makes it more unique. Like, like I mentioned in our group chat, a superhero films can are great when they try to be their own thing, their own genre. Like, uh, right. Logan is a neo western film. Wonder Woman is a World War One film, mm-hmm. and Joker is a psychological thriller. Yeah. Which I- Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for the new Batman because it's supposed to be a neo-noir detective-driven story. So yeah. it's gonna be different, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. And it looks like we have reached the one-hour mark now. Yeah. Show. <laughs> Thank you for coming back again, Matt. Thank you for having me. 
Yes, at all. And thank you, John, also for coming. Justin. Yep. Sorry for late. <laughs> and you too, Dane, for making one hell of an entrance. <laughs> Twice. I missed what he did. My phone died. <laughs> I, for a bit. I should always be charging my phone because it always happens. Yeah. No worries, man. Thank no you worries. Guys so much. And Nick, you look like I feel like I'm watching the Oscars. Like you look so professional tonight. <laughs> you look professional. So I'm hat. just wearing a hat. <laughs> so short. <laughs> love the look. Yeah. Love the look. Your shirt. Love your shirt too. Wait, wait. I like, I like how yeah, because like Matthew's wearing like a black shirt and like. No, it's wearing, Friday like, the Thirteenth actually. Oh, nice. I did not see yeah. that. But I like how it's like the difference between it like, the, the black and the white shirt. It's like yeah. good and evil, like the yin, yeah. the yin yang symbol. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I'm pretty sure that was not on purpose, but it's pretty cool to see. <laughs> no. Just talking about sequels too, because like the first one is like more of the lighter one, and then the the sequel is mm. usually the darker one. So it uh, it just went along perfectly. Symbolism, yeah. Symbolism. Yeah, yeah. Good show, everyone. Yeah. Dane, John, Matt, thank you, and good luck to you all. We can. I know it's been three months since the quarantine, but yeah. you guys are doing great job. That's being patient and resilient. You all are. You three, you guys are the heroes <laughs> to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. You're my hero, Nick. You guys are my heroes. You all are my heroes. Thanks, Thanks my heroes. It's all there. Until then, this has been yet another chapter of Sin City. I'm Nick Manessis. I'm Dan McLean. Thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week, everyone. See you, See you next week. Same time as always on CMRU.ca. My students for you.